0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is believed. Means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA Draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. Who's got the number one pick in this year's Detroit draft? Who's got the number one pick in this year's draft? Basketball! Select Isaiah Stewart. The Detroit Pistons select Killian Hayes. Sadiq, that was absolutely sensational. I don't know what went into that process.
1: I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't.
2: From long range. Oh! Yes! Yes! Yeah!
1: Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Angolano, and joining me, as always, is Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia. Fellas, how are we
0: doing? I'm doing, doing very well. Media day on Monday. Basketball is inching itself back into our lives, and that is good stuff. I'm all for it, and I'm ready to talk about it.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad with all the media day talk of who's vaccinated, who's not. I'm just grateful that this is one of the few teams in the league that has a 100% vaccination rate. Makes me feel good. Uh, The Pistons need as little controversy as possible, and that's a good way to start. So happy about that. Happy to be here. Let's get into it, man.
1: Yes, let's get into it. Absolutely. Uh, But before we do get into it again, just want to call attention to our sponsor again. This is Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. And all eyes are on the grid on our, and as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action. With a newly updated site and interface, we have more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And use the promo code believe that's b l e a v for your 50% welcome bonus from football basketball boxing right to your favorite Vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports again head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code believe that's b l e a V bet online where the game starts
2: I, I hope everybody took my uh surefire winning advice from last week and bet against the lions i hope they did that at bet online that, <laughs> that you, been a you, good payout.
0: were you nervous at any point <laughs> no <laughs> it's no <Nope>. never <laughs> nervous <Come laughs> it's everyone knew that field goal was going in
2: every once once here's here's like one of those like cheat codes when it comes to the Lions whenever they get screwed over by a call at the end of the game, they are going to lose that game. That's, it's just it's a mortal lock. It's just like the Aaron Rodgers 66-yard touchdown pass to beat them uh, a few years back.
1: 66-yard touchdown pass and a 66-yard field goal.
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, and uh, sensing and, uh, some
1: conspiracy theories. And happening. also
2: the, the previous longest uh, game-winning field goal ever came against. Well, guess who? The Detroit Lions. So, yeah, if they get screwed by a call and it's controversial like that uh, no call intentional grounding was or not or not intentional grounding, I should say delay of game. Yes. And it's a lock. So the second Justin Tucker walked up there, I knew it was good. And, and yeah. the little doink in off the crossbar was just that was just the cherry on top. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was the roundhouse kick after the cross. <laughs> to the side of the face. <laughs> they,
2: they fucking, they, they reached into a Lions fan's chest cavity like Mola Ram from,
1: like, just <laughs> ripped out Ma. their st- just a still beating heart. <laughs> oh my God. It might not actually be beating if it's Lions fan. Anyway, anyway, let's move on to our news of the week. It is media week here in the NBA. Uh, good times as Jasper had alluded to for, for for most teams, uh, as vaccination status has been the topic of the NBA. Um, but for the Pistons, they have signed cash Stanley, according to James Edwards, the third of the of the athletic, although that has not been formally announced by the Pistons yet. They also waived Anthony Tark and maybe the most important news, at least for the individuals in our Palace of Pistons group chat, is that Davidus Servitus is back on a training camp deal with the Pistons uh, fellas, any, any, any words for bringing back Dave?
0: Hey, I just found out about it like five minutes ago. So I guess getting a fresh like, reaction. I, uh, I thought we were kind of done with that, but he's back and he's still probably not going to make the roster. So maybe he's a motor city cruise guy, but I'm not going to uh, overreact to it. I'm I'd, I'd more intrigued by someone like Casha Stanley, uh, who the Pistons also just signed.
2: Yeah, I, I guess if you're an Anthony Tark fan, then this is bad news because they waived
0: him to make room for Dave. But they listened to my uh, they listened to my part about him on the podcast from last week. Where I was like, oh yeah, I think Anthony Tark might be a guy I can surprise in training camp. And then <laughs> they're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's wave him the day before training camp. <laughs> oh,
2: poor Aaron. Yeah, it, this is, for me, not a not a big-time move. He's a training camp guy. Maybe he gets a little bit of run in preseason, but I haven't seen anything from Servitas so far throughout his NBA career that makes me excited to have him in this organization, unfortunately. And that's about it for me. I, I don't really see much there. And, you know, hopefully this is a good trial for him to stay you know, maybe stick on with the cruise, maybe get a contract somewhere in Europe. But other than that, not much to it.
1: Aaron, what do you see in Cassius Stanley? So he, he appeared in 10 games for the Indiana Pacers last year, 35 minutes. So we're talking about a very, very small um, sample size. What what about you um, or what about uh, him is is intriguing to you?
0: Yeah, so I'm not going to act like, you know, Cassius Stanley is going to come in and, and he probably is not even going to make the roster. Like, I'm just, so I meant that more as a, like, I'm so not interested in Davida Servetus and circling back to that, that I'm more intrigued by a guy that, yeah, I guess he's only played 35 minutes, but I, after seeing Servetus knowing what he is, like I'd much rather just see someone else. And yeah, I mean, Cassius Stanley 21, he's six, five, uh, kind of a guard wing. I don't know. I guess I just would rather I, I, both those guys are probably G-League guys, right? So it's more so just not yes, really interested so. in Servetus at this point. Uh I'd really like to forget about trading four second round draft picks for him. So yeah, that's my, that's my thoughts on that. I, I think if there's one thing to maybe get a little excited about
2: Stanley, it's the fact that he has a 44 inch vertical leap.
0: Yeah, they're so, insanely athletic.
2: Yeah, I, at very least he and Jamorco Pickett are going to do some fun things on the cruise this year cuz I do think when you have a guy like like that with a you know, with such insane uh, physical attributes, you kind of got to see what's there. Uh, so him, Pickett and and hopefully Chris Smith are going to do some nice things for the Motor City Cruise and maybe in a couple years
1: you've got something there. But just to just to round out our Cassius Stanley talk, which has gone on much longer than I thought it would. <laughs> In his twelve games with uh, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, he averaged thirteen points, three boards, and two assists, um, and like a steal a game and a couple turnovers. Forty two percent from the floor. Not much of a three point shooter, but again, it only like twelve games. So um, yeah, more of a athletic guy. He's six five, a buck ninety here according to um, the NBA G League site. So. Um okay we can go ahead and move on to our first topic which is a media day roundup the, the Pistons held media day for the past couple of days and uh, across the NBA we've seen lots of discussions about teams and how they're shaping up and starting lineups with the Lakers and vaccine statuses for other teams and um Ben Simmons movement and how he's never going to play or speak to uh Joel Embiid again so Uh, But the Pistons had a relatively low-key media day, which Jasper, you kind of alluded to, is a very good thing. We don't need uh, major issues with the team uh, mere hours into their technical start of the season. So Isaiah Stewart recently returned to five-on-five activity. He was out for several weeks after suffering an ankle injury when he was with Team USA prepping for the Olympics. Chris Smith uh, and Isaiah, is it livers or livers? Livers. 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 I didn't watch any Michigan basketball except for March Madness. And um they kind of did Mike just become public enemy number one. Like <laughs> didn't watch any Michigan basketball. I, I watched Kent State basketball and they're the same colors. Is, is that is that good enough? Um yeah, no, and they're and, and both I'm not gonna get
0: mad at the listeners for getting mad at you for saying
1: that. <laughs> that's okay. I know that Michigan basketball is is a is a big deal. Um kind of breeze right over Michigan football. Um, Kelly O'Linick has been drawing praise from his teammates, and we talked a little bit about that from a lineup's perspective uh, last week and how we think he's going to be probably the starting center, but Dwayne Casey says that both um, Olinick and Isaiah Stewart will be sharing the court together a lot. So um, that's kind of an interesting little lineup tidbit there. So, guys, anything from Pistons Media Day uh, that, that you wanted to touch on?
0: I mean, it was a pretty – quiet media day. Like you mentioned for the Pistons, I didn't think anything came out of it. That was overall super, super crazy. Um, I guess some of the things that like I did find interesting was how much Dwayne Casey and some of the team talked about how impressed they were with Kelly Olenek. Uh, I guess he's only been around the team for a little bit, but seems like he's drawing a lot of praise. Dwayne Casey said those two are probably going to share the floor of uh, between uh, Kelly Linnick and, Isaiah Stewart, those two guys are actually going to share the floor a fair amount, which uh, at least to me is, is interesting. Like, not that I didn't expect it, but if it's a significant amount, I'm, I'm, I, I would be concerned about the depth that the Pistons have at the center position outside of those two guys. And that means you're probably going to need a legitimate backup five on your roster outside of Olenek. And I don't know if the Pistons have that Get day one, you know, October, whatever their first game is. I don't know if they have that on the roster. And obviously Luka Garza would be the de facto guy, I guess, in that situation. And as much as I like Luka Garza, I don't know if day one, he's ready for that type of position. Um, but I I like that. I, I It it puts into mind so many different lineup combinations in my head and, and how the Pistons could just go like, insanely big but still be pretty damn skilled with a lineup of something like Kate Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, Kelly Olenek, and Isaiah Stewart where they just have like all the size, a bunch of skilled players, and a lot of length. It's just putting those two on the floor together really switches some things up for how Dwayne Casey can go about putting together the rest of the lineup, but it also has implications on the depth chart and how uh, – the bench gets handled as well. So I think Dwayne Casey kind of tipping his cap before the season even starts and saying, yeah, we're going to see those two guys on the court together a a good amount uh, is, is pretty interesting. Yeah. I think
2: first off the lack of a lot of news on media day for me was a good thing, especially when it comes to Isaiah Stewart, just the fact that he's back, there's nothing else to really say about that ankle injury. That's good the fact that <laughs> Dwayne Casey has a man crush on Kelly Olynyk, in his own words. I think that's also good. And, and I like the fact that like you were saying, Aaron, he's willing to put out Stewart and Olynyk there at the same time because one of the problems the Pistons had last year was consistent rebounding. And when you're depending on just Kelly Olynyk or just Isaiah Stewart to go out there and, and get those rebounds um, alongside jeremy grant who ostensibly would be playing the four if it's just one of stewart or Olinick out there when you're just depending on one of those guys to go out there and get the rebounds for you i think that's a little dangerous when you're a team like detroit and playing both Olinick and stewart to me at the same time makes sense they both can shoot they both can rebound Uh, Stewart hopefully will make up for Olenek's deficiencies as a rim protector. So I see a lot of potential in that. And like you said, Aaron, there's a ton of lineup combinations that you can get from there. You could go super big by keeping Jeremy Grant on the floor as your three, or you could go with a little bit smaller lineup and still maintain physicality if you put Sadiq Bey out there at the three. So, you know, and, and with that, if you have Sadiq Bey um, Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olynyk out there alongside Killian Hayes and Kate Cunningham. Well, you know, Killian's lack of shooting at this point in his career is not as big a deal because you have four guys out there who are really, really good shooters. So I definitely agree with you. There are a lot of combinations that your mind goes to immediately when you hear those two on the court at the same time, but For me, like I said at the at the beginning of of this show, the fact that they have that 100 percent vaccination status, honestly, it is a big thing for me because, one, you know, everybody's going to be able to play this year. And two, it gets rid of a lot of like that inter roster strife that you're already seeing on teams like Golden State, like and and Orlando where you have certain players like Andrew Wiggins or Jonathan Isaac saying, well, you know, this is my choice. I'm not going to do that. And then you have team leaders like Steph Curry coming out there and saying, yeah, this is a distraction. This isn't okay for our team. And the fact that the Pistons can avoid that when they're already one of the weaker rosters in the NBA, I think is a good sign for that team camaraderie. I think it's a good sign of, of leadership in the organization And I think it's also a good sign that you have a lot of guys in your organization that have their heads on. Right. Um, So for me, I think all those things are, are good signs. Um, Especially Isaiah Stewart coming back too. that's, that's something Aaron, you last week were saying you were more than just a little bit concerned about.
0: Well, yeah. How do we feel about that? I mean, he said he just started getting back into five on five work and I was, I don't know if either of you guys had the opportunity to watch any of the media day stuff, but I was watching it. And that was something that, you know, he said he just started getting back into five on five work. He was out for about eight weeks uh, after, you know, after initially have, dealing with the injury um, was still working on getting back into shape. Like, does that concern you with the start of the season now just a couple weeks away? Like, I know I kind of mentioned. I think at least I mentioned it on last week's episode. I might have done this with been talking about this with someone else, but I think there's. I think it was on the show though. I think there's a legitimate chance that Kelly Olynyk is the starting five, uh, at least at the beginning of the year. And I'm curious if you guys think after those comments yesterday, you think there's a greater chance that Kelly Olynyk is the starting center, or if those comments really don't matter at this point because he is back and he's still got time to get into shape and, and all that kind of stuff.
2: I, I think Kelly Olenek was going to be the starter regardless, even if Isaiah Stewart stayed healthy throughout the summer. Like we said on the podcast last week, it just seems like with the money they paid him, the role they need him to fit and Dwayne Casey's MO, to me, it just seems so, so likely that Kelly Olynyk's going to be the starter. Um, I don't think that Isaiah Stewart coming back, and, and just starting to do five on five right now is really that big a deal. I am sure he has stayed in good shape. That dude is cut out of freaking marble. So, yeah, I mean maybe he take needs a little bit of time to get his feet underneath him, but he's got almost a month in front of him to to do that, and he's got all of preseason, he's got training camp. So, I'm
1: not worried about that
2: particularly. No.
1: Did it Did it ever come out? what kind of foot injury he had no
2: i'm assuming at this point after eight weeks it was probably some sort of high ankle sprain because that that's to me seems like the only reasonable injury that could have happened in that time frame that would require that amount of time to get over
1: you know okay because i mean they really don't have any reason to rush him back if
0: no you
1: know I mean, I still think that Kelly Olinick will start at, at, at the five, and I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. The, the lineup does need shooting. Um, I, so I will say I, – I don't I, really I, have
2: any issue with that. Another thing I also liked Dwayne Casey clarifying was that they do expect Killian Hayes and Kate Cunningham to play together this year. So, for me, that starting backcourt is pretty set right now. It's Killian and Kate. And they're all in on that, that combination, at least to start this season.
1: You know, that's a good segue um, into our second topic, which we've already kind of dabbled in a little bit, which is the Pistons depth that they have. So now that the offseason's complete for agency, the drafter are, are done and the rosters basically how it's going to be heading into the season. Um, do the Pistons have enough depth to compete with other teams? Corey Joseph, Sabin Lee in the backcourt, Frank Jackson, Hamidou Diallo, Josh Jackson at that kind of two guard spot. Kelly Lenin, Trey Lyles will, you know, will definitely get some time. And we were critical of the Trey Lyles signing, you know, as well. But looking at the depth of this roster, um, what are what what are some of your thoughts about, you know, sort of flushing that out? You kind of already alluded to um, the one and the two are set in stone. It's going to be Killian Hayes. It's going to be Kate Cunningham. And that, you know, the two guard spot, it's kind of a, uh, a, a mess of guys who can play there. You know Diallo is is a guy that they traded for. Josh Jackson is a guy that they signed. That you know we're not sh- really sure if he has a fit on this roster uh, anymore. They have you know Frank Jackson, Corey Joseph, Saban Lee are you know backup point guards. Uh, you know, but they can they, they can play some other roles as well. Um, so, what do you guys think about the the depth on that on that roster?
2: Well, Josh Jackson seems to think he still has a role on this team because he said he's going to be certainly does for years to come. Those were his words. So, him and Cade. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Cade. Um, (laughs) I, I guess, I mean, I don't know if he has any, he's saying that out of just he wants to be here or if he's saying that as he, you know, already knows he's going to be here and they've already discussed a contract coming up for him during the season or after the season when he hits free agency, but. He certainly seems to think he's going to be here. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I think they have, I think they have the depth, especially when you take into account Casey saying that Kelly Olinick and Isaiah Stewart are going to play on the floor at the same time. For me, that really eliminates a lot of my concern when it came to Trey Lyles. Now, of course, if somebody goes down, somebody goes down, but like I think that they're going to be confident enough in Jeremy Grant to give him the majority of his minutes at the four spot. And they're going to feel all right with putting Kelly Olenek and, and, or Isaiah Stewart at that four spot if need be. Um, So, yeah, I think the way with their versatility, I think the way that the minutes kind of stagger out and who needs minutes, who's going to get minutes. I am not that concerned uh, regarding the depth. I mean, how good is that depth? That's another question, but I'm not worried that Trey Lyles is going to be getting 20 minutes a game. If, if that's kind of what you're asking. And, and I think at the, you know, the point guard position as well, I am hoping, hoping that Corey Joseph is going to be there for a little bit and Saban Lee's going to be there for a little bit. And they're comfortable playing either one of those guys off ball I'm not so sold on Staben Lee's ability to do it. Those summer league lineups with him, Cade, and Killian were awful, but I think you could play Corey Joseph as sort of an off-ball kind of guy for 10, 15 minutes a night if need be. So for me, I'm not overly worried about the the rotations there. Um, I don't know. How about you, Aaron? I, I know we both have hit on this Trey Lyles thing all offseason, season are you still worried about that? Or like I said, is that combination of Olenek, Stewart and Jeremy Grant uh, enough to kind of soothe those fears for you?
0: I, I still am a little worried. Um, You know, obviously whoever starts between Olenek and Isaiah Stewart, like the other one will still see significant minutes on the floor together, but my concern is still that, that, that backup big spot between the four and the five, is there truly enough depth, especially if one of those three guys is ever missing time. And we know Jeremy Grant missed games last year. Kelly Olenek has missed games before. Um, and we've only had really one season of Isaiah Stewart, but even this ankle injury that he's had this off season, you know, that is something that hopefully doesn't present itself again during the season, but it's a possibility I just fear. I'm. I'm fearful that if one of those guys goes down, goes down, the Pistons are going to be really, really thin up front. And I don't trust Trey Lyles, who talked about yesterday. The reason he came to Detroit was because he was he wanted to go somewhere where he was going to get legitimate opportunity to play. Uh, so it sounds like Uh-oh. he's going to get that opportunity to play. Cool. And look, I know. It seems like us three are in, on the same page. It seems like a lot of people on Pistons Twitter are on the same page, but this Trey Lyles guy has not really performed well in his NBA career, and he's now on, what, his fourth team uh, in as many years. He's I think he's going into his fifth year. Um, but I just don't think there's enough depth up front. I wish they had another center on the roster. Outside of Luca Garza, again, I I am hopeful that Luca Garza turns into something. I think he showed legitimate potential in summer league, but at the beginning of the season, I think it's still going to be a learning process for him. He's still going to have to get quicker with on his feet, being able being able to move better defensively. The offensive skill set is there. He's shown he can shoot. He's shown he can score, but defensively, playing at an NBA pace is going to take time to adjust for Luca Garza. So. I'm expecting him to see a good amount of time with the Motor City Cruise, which, again, it leaves the Pistons a little thin up front. Outside of that, I do think the Pistons have a a, a good group of depth. Outside of Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham being able to play the point guard spot, Corey Joseph and Saban Lee are there. Joseph played really well in Detroit last year. I think there is going to be some regression. just seems like he was playing too well. Um, but even if he goes you know regresses a little bit he was still a a solid basketball player before coming to Detroit and you know Saban Lee those lineups in summer league were very wonky I don't know if I believe in the shooting numbers from summer league either but he's shown a little bit and if he is a guy getting minutes like I'm okay with that because he's a young guy who deserves an opportunity after showcasing some stuff last season and in summer league so I think they've got a Four point guards that are viable on the roster, and then on the wing they do have plenty of depth between Sadiq Bay and Jeremy Grant. Then you can go to a combination of Diallo, Josh Jackson, Frank Jackson. I mean, in a sense, I guess the Pistons, if they you know you needed to find the ten guys that are, are going to play every night, the Pistons could end up going small off the bench and you know use a combination of Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, and you know, Isaiah Stewart, uh, they could go small because they have those that group of wings that are aggressive, can do multiple things. Like Frank Jackson obviously can shoot the ball, but Diallo, he's that hyper-aggressive, goes hard at the rim, plays bigger than what he is, is very strong, rebounds well for his position. Josh Jackson, he's kind of like that Swiss army knife that puts the ball on the floor, but will also let it fly. Don't really want him doing too much because he can get a little crazy at times, but they have different skill sets for different players and that gives them some different options as well. Depth-wise, I'm pretty comfortable with where they're at. I am a little bit concerned about the the front court depth though and we'll see how much of an issue that that gets to be uh, throughout the season.
2: So Aaron, I, I have a question about two players for you and it kind of comes down to if you do lose one of Isaiah Stewart or Kelly Olinick for an extended period of time, would you rather start playing Luca Garza 15, 20? I mean, really, probably 20, 25 minutes a night, or would you prefer to possibly take Sadiq Bay and slide him up a position and have him playing at the four position? Um, in like more of traditional small ball lineups, like what which one of those options is more preferable to you?
0: And again, it's gonna sound like I'm I'm hating on Luka Garza, but I'm really not. I, again, I think there's a player there, but to begin the season, I, I would definitely have to opt for a Sadiq Bay in that role. Bay is six seven. He's got good strength. He's his body composition is strong, so he can handle a little bit more of bulkier guys if needed. And we've seen Bay play a little bit of the four last year at times as well. So mm-hmm. I guess in that case, I, I would pick Sadiq Bay. I just think Luca Garza needs some more development time at, at this point, but he will get his opportunities throughout the regular season. The roster is going to make that possible because they don't have another center to where that's going to block him. They don't have a Jaleel Okafor. Yeah. I, like last year, Jaleel Okafor got in the way at the beginning of the year of Someone like Isaiah Stewart, but that's not. It, there's. this It's not the case. There's going to be those opportunities for Garza, and and maybe he'll be, you know, in a better spot than I think he he is. Yeah,
2: I mean, like, look, even if he's not a like a good defender, I mean, if he's giving you Enos Cantor light production, you know, that's that's
0: fine for me. I like that's the how theory. I feel of Garza being on the court. I like having a five that can space the floor, a five that can put us back to the basket. Like those are, I, I, again, I really like those things. And I think those are positive attributes. And if you can mask him defensively and have enough speed and athleticism on the court alongside him, then maybe it will look a lot better than I'm kind of envisioning it in my head.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I,
2: for me, I would probably also, think about moving Sadiq up to to like the four for a little bit, and then maybe only playing Garza 10 to 15 minutes a game if, you know, at most, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I think for me, both options are preferable to playing Trey Lyle's big minutes. So.
0: Yeah, that's the last thing I want to see honest. I'd rather play Luca Garza than Trey Lyle's if you want me to be completely honest. mm -hmm. So I've got, I've got two points. One, Corey Joseph was
1: awesome last year in a, in the 19 games he played with the Pistons. And then I remember talking about this during the season, but just to give like a little glimpse of how good he was, he had, he was in a 94th percentile <laughs> in assist to usage ratio. He had a 30% assist rate, which was again in the 94th percentile. That's uh pretty pretty high uh in terms of shooting he was again quite good uh pretty much all over the floor he shot 71 percent at the rim again in the 93rd percentile um he was awfully good at non or with uh, non corner threes he shot 43 percent his effective field goal percentage was by my calculation the highest of his career at 55.3 percent i mean these are limited minutes but he played awfully well and you know if If you're talking about playing small ball and moving guys up the line, that might involve other guys playing, you know, the one or the two, like Corey Joseph is a combo guard. So he might be asked to do a little bit more, but this team needed shooting and he provided that in short bursts. Um, So I wanted to shout that out. And you talked a lot about Luca Garza. So Luca Garza, of course, was the uh, unanimous NCAA player of the year last year. Across the board he was Naismith AP John Wooden Oscar Robertson sporting news he was the consensus NCAA player of the year and much like the Heisman trophy for football the NCAA player of the year for basketball is not indicative of a uh, superstar in the NBA so I I have the I have the list here of other Naismith because I think Naismith is the probably the one that people go to the most in terms of credibility do you know (laughs) do you know okay so luca garza was this last year do you know who won it last year or i'm sorry the year prior 2019 2020 player of the year the Naismith. oh that was that was
2: obi toppin right
1: that's correct it was obi toppin
2: oh ain't no the year before that
1: that was that was Zion the year before. The, the year before Zion, he was unanimous. So yeah. 2017-18 was another unanimous NCAA Naismith AP John Wynn player of the year. Do you know who it was for 2017-18? I,
2: I do, because they won the you title. Won they won the did. title. It was Jalen Brunson from Villanova. You're talking to a man who spent all of his middle school years uh, playing sporacle obsessively. So. It's it's hard to get a, a, a nasal award I winner. Do like past that. Me.
1: So <laughs> the the year prior to Jalen Brunson was another unanimous across the board winner. Aaron, do you got
0: anything? No, this is not my cup of tea. This was
1: <laughs> this was
2: this was another guy that it just like someone had to win it. It's Frank, it Frank Mason. It's Frank Mason. It was dad oh, Yeah, he so, won I mean, across yeah, the board. I, I think your I think your point is is
1: well taken. It's just very interesting. No, no, yeah. it's it's just interesting. I mean, Zion's awesome, even though yeah. he looked like he's had a, a couple extra scoops of gumbo. That, that looks, Anthony I mean, Davis was awesome. guy turned out okay too, right? Anthony he, Davis he was good. Kevin he Durant, not, he did okay. He, Anthony Davis yeah. was not <laughs> unanimous, but Frank Mason was.
0: Jasper. <laughs> Jasper Comparing Luca Garza to Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant—that's what I just well, got out of the conversation. It's possible
1: that Luca Garza will play more center than Anthony Davis. So yeah. I mean, hey, no, he's hey. starting
0: this year. The reports are out; he's going to start. We see this he, every year.
1: He actually just said that he is going to be—he expects to play some center this year. I—I oh think it's I feel so bad
0: Anthony, for him. He's only making hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> right? It's Anthony hard. Davis
1: doesn't. Doesn't win it across the board, but the year before AD winning it across the board was Jimmer Fredette. Mm-hmm. Unanimous. Evan Turner, unanimous. Wow. I mean, pretty – Doug McDermott, unanimous. Frank Kaminsky in 2014-15, he swept him. Yeah. And uh, Denzel Valentine won a couple. <laughs> it's oh, really Tyler, Tyler Hansbrough, unanimous. Hey. Well,
2: Couldn't Tyler, Psycho T just needs another shot in the league, okay? That's all I'm saying.
1: He oh, had my... the Bobby Portis eyes before Bobby Portis did.
2: Yeah, well well put, well put.
1: Yeah, he I mean, really like, did. look,
2: Gar, Luca Garza's college accomplishments mean mean nothing when it comes to the NBA, unfortunately, but... Hey, we'll see. At the very least, most of these guys, not all, but most of these guys are able to carve out some sort of niche. Oh, yes. Yes. In the NBA. I mean, yeah. Is Jalen Brunson the man? No, but he fits a very useful role for the Dallas Mavericks.
1: Oh, Trey yeah. Trey
2: Burke, say what you will about the guy, but he's still in the league. Reinvented himself. Eight years later, man. So, it, very few guys, you know, come into the league and just fail outright from day one. Jimmer being one of them, um, but Adam yeah, Morrison, yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the very least, I, I don't believe Adam Morrison won the Naismith Award, though
1: he he did not. Um, JJ Reddick did.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that but was JJ. And-
1: award with jj reddick for two of yeah them.
2: but like look i think if anything the the hope for luca garza this year should be like poor man's enos canter numbers and and if he puts yeah. up that in limited minutes and he doesn't have to play that big of a role i think that that's probably a good thing long term for both right. him and the pistons
1: and and I wasn't trying to say that winning that you know those those awards are useless. I, I I just think it's a fun little exercise to see who actually won those throughout the college season, and then see what happened after that. Like Jimmer Fredette, I mean that was a, he was like a that was a movement, Jimmer yeah. Fredette.
2: But but the reason why Jimmer didn't work ultimately, and I think that this is one of the things that you can point to Luca Garza as as really being a negative is that. You know, Jimmer wasn't able to adjust to playing a role other than that star role. And he didn't play good defense. And he wasn't really able to learn how to play without the ball in his hands as a ball dominant guard. So for Garza, I think it comes down to kind of the same thing. Like, can he embrace that role as being, hey, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to pull down rebounds, I'm going to score the easy buckets. I'm gonna play good pick and roll, pick and pop if if I can, and on defense, yeah, I'm limited. I'm always gonna be limited, but I've got six fouls and I can use them, you know, tactically. So it just comes down to can Luca Garza adjust? Because I think he can. Um, he obviously works really hard. He's obviously a player that understands what his limitations are. Unlike someone like Jimmer Fredette, so. Yeah, I, I don't see why – like, again, is this the preferable option if one other, or two of Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olenek go down? Absolutely not. It's, it's not ideal. But I do think he can contribute positively to this team this year.
0: We are in midseason form, boys. I mean, we just spent <laughs> – I know Mike knows where I'm going with this, but we just spent, like, a good 20 minutes talking about – the third string center on the Pistons roster. And it's not even October yet. Let's go. Mid-season form, folks.
1: <laughs> it is uh, it is always good to get on a complete rant. Um, the Mitch McGarry podcast will still live in infamy as one of the oh one of the most excellent, goes all the way around, circles all the way around, went all the way around the country and came back to Mitch McGarry. <laughs> um we'll be lucky if we get something as good as that
0: again <laughs> oh, my we peaked <laughs>
1: um yeah we may have peaked already. okay so our, our our final topic is the over under for the pistons FanDuel set the line for detroit at 23 and a half wins for the 2021 2022 season uh aaron when you take the over or the under at 23 and a half wins for the pistons
0: I mean, the Pistons won 20 games last year in a 72-game season. I, I can't believe this is the line. I mean, I'm kind I know of shocked that too. there are people that genuinely believe the Pistons can make the playoffs, can make the play-in. I don't know for sure where I'm at on that regard yet, but I am absolutely taking the over on wins at 23-and-a-half, or excuse me, DraftKings has it at 25 and a half, so it's a little bit better, but I, I'm still taking the over 25 and a half. I mean, the Pistons are a better team than they were last year. They they get to play 10 more games, and you add Kate Cunningham, all of your, your rookies from last year now have another year under your belt. You have Hamadou Diallo for a full season, Kelly Olynyk. I mean, this is a team that is going to be much better than they were last year i i I will absolutely take the over at 23 and a half and uh, i'll be very happy to do so
2: yeah i mean look after the season ended before free agency we all went on this podcast and said hey the play-in game should be something that they are realistically competing for i don't know if that is the case now the east has definitely improved not just in terms of the rosters, but like coaching wise has improved. And I think I have to adjust my expectations from something like, you know, I said 32 to 38 wins. I think I have to reduce that now to something like 29 to 36 wins, but I still think they're in that range. And I definitely think they're over 23 and a half for, for all the reasons you laid out there, Aaron. They're going to have a full 82 games. Now they have a roster that makes a lot more sense. I don't think you can ignore the fact that at the beginning of last season, they had lots of players on the roster that shouldn't have been on that roster. Blake Griffin was a detriment to the team. Uh, Jaleel Okafor was a detriment to that team. And I think right now, when you look at the Pistons roster construction, Yeah even if there are one or two guys that you're not crazy about on the roster, it makes sense. The, the lineups you can throw out there are not like, oh my God, what is this? It's like pretty much any combination that Dwayne Casey decides to put onto the floor is going to make sense in terms of a modern basketball team. So yeah, I, I have a hard time looking at 23 and a half and saying, I'm going to take the under there. There's just so many more reasons to believe that they're going to beat that out simply like based on the construction of the roster. Even if you do think the East has gotten better, especially the Central Division, like there's games to be won here. It's not like all these teams are world beaters like, yeah, the Bulls are better. The Pacers are better. Um, Are they world beaters? No. These aren't guaranteed playoff teams. And yeah, I know the Hornets should take a leap, but will they? Who knows? So there's a lot of games to be won in the East. I think 23 and a half is kind of just there because you look at the rest of the teams in the conference and say, well, somebody's got to finish last. But I do think they'll be more competitive than that. They were super competitive last year. They've improved the roster this year. I don't see why, yeah, like I said, like they can't win 29 to 36 games even. I
0: guess I, I guess I guess it's how much do you believe in the Pistons when you put them in like the echelon and the grouping of teams like Orlando, Cleveland, Chicago, Washington, Toronto. Like where do the Pistons fall within that range of teams? Indiana is another team as well. Like, I mean... The Pacers on paper are probably a better team, but I mean, they're not, like they're nothing special. And like the bulls, like, yes, they are absolutely better on paper because they have a couple guys in DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic who are all like established, but are there, is the rest of their roster good enough? And like, again, I don't, I don't know where the Pistons are in terms of, are they a playoff team? But I also can look at the conference, I can look at the league, and I can say I'm confident in believing that the Pistons are going to be better than a team like Orlando. I think they can be better than a team like Cleveland. I think they can be better than a team like Washington. And maybe they won't be, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as the Pistons aren't better than those teams. Like I think you can have a debate on both sides – and make a case for the Pistons being better or make a case for the Pistons being worse. I think 23 and a half is just such a low number that even if the Pistons aren't a ton better, I still think they're hovering around at least 30 wins at the end of the season.
2: Yeah. Like the, the conference is better, but there's no real super teams there outside of Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn, right? Like right. everyone else is going to have to fight for it. The, I know I look Atlanta at Miami's made a
0: roster and it's, they have a good starting five, but outside of that, they have very, very little depth. Yeah. Like
2: everyone's yeah, got questions. Good,
0: but if they get hurt, what are they going to do?
2: Every Everyone's got questions. Like I think the Knicks have a lot of questions. Philly obviously has a lot of questions. Uh, Chicago has a lot of questions. Boston has a lot of questions. And like you said, like, I don't know. I, I do, th- I am high on Indiana. I think adding Rick Carlisle and getting back a full season, hopefully, of T.J. Warren and Jeremy Lamb, I do think that that's going to make a big difference for them. But, yeah, they still need to figure out, like, the Sabonis-Turner thing. Does that really work? Karis Lavert just got hurt again. again. Poor guy, can't stay healthy. So I, if you look at the conference and, you know, you look at a lot of those games out West, and I think that's something you have to look at as well, is that the West is not as strong as it has been in years past. There's a lot of games that are going to be winnable in interconference play. Very uh, San Antonio, very winnable. The Kings, very winnable. Houston, Minnesota, very winnable games. Uh, the Pelicans too. So I think when I look at like the NBA as a whole, yeah, there are a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference that have improved, but. I think there is a lot more parity among the rosters this season than there has been in years past. So yeah, for me, if they set the, if they set the Pistons over under at like 26 and a half, maybe then just to play devil's advocate. Maybe then I take the under, but at twenty three and a half, feels like easy money to me. Just really feels like easy money.
1: Yeah. I think, I think I would take the over too, for mostly the reasons that both of you have already described and I'll go back to the point of, well, somebody has to lose games. And while the Pistons have a lot of talent on the roster, you know, they, they don't have a huge incentive to make the playoffs. I really think that they can, they have the components to do it and be a really feisty team like the Hornets were last year. But once, you know, once we hit the middle of the season and they're, you know, hovering at, I don't know, 12 games under 500, 13 under 500 or, or whatever. And all of a sudden the Chet Holmgren noise starts to get a little bit louder. Um, you might see some guys start to have some mysterious, just rest injuries and, and things like that. And I don't, and I hope that that doesn't happen because I want to see a full healthy Pistons team play as much as possible. But, you know, I think 23 and a half is probably too low. And usually I'm, pretty fine with the over-unders that get thrown out from FanDuel, but 23 and a half seems off, awfully low for a team that just made significant you know improvements with the number one pick and year over year improvements from three young guys who you know played super well. You know, and, um, and
2: Mike, from a from an intangibles value, I don't think you can like underestimate the value of youth alongside a veteran head coach. And some really smart veteran signings. Like, they have a lot of good basketball minds in there. And they have a lot of guys who have something to prove in this league, who have a lot to prove in this league. You think about, like, their wing rotation alone. Killian Hayes. um, You know, Isaiah Stewart. Sadiq Bey, All these guys have something to prove. And I don't think you can underestimate that factor when it comes to like you were saying middle end of the season when other teams that maybe don't have those kind of guys start to have the drain of the nba season you know take an effect on their play i think when i look at the pistons last year the fact that they remained feisty from beginning to end of the season I just can. Cons- just see that carrying over into this season. Um, alongside a better roster, to me, I, I don't know. I, I, I think even if you do get players like Jeremy Grant getting rested towards the end of the season, Cade Cunningham maybe even too, there's still a lot to prove from players on this roster. So I, I don't anticipate them going on one of those crazy long losing streaks to finish the season unless, of course – they get decimated by injuries or something goes, you know,
1: horribly wrong. Right. Right. I think the general consensus here is we're all in agreement that 23 and a half is too low. Uh, We would all slam the over on that. Um, You know, there's just there's just a lot of what ifs this year that we haven't seen this past couple of years. Um, Now you can add in vaccinations and local health policies as Guys who are going to be in and out might not be allowed to play in arenas as you know. Additional variables that might throw you know throw a, a wrench in things. Yeah. Um, and look, look it at was Goulin's, said before the it was said like, before the NFL season. Like a lot of NFL guys were like, you know, it's a competitive advantage to be vaccinated now, given all the protocols in place, and that's going to be the same thing in the NBA as well.
2: Sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to interrupt you. My my apologies. No, you're fine um yeah you look at golden state that's a great example of it if he doesn't get vaccinated andrew wiggins can't play warriors home games like <laughs> that's a pretty gigantic loss if you're that's pretty
1: significant that.
2: that's huge he's a he's a max player if you don't have yep. one of your max players probably your third most important player on that team this year if he can't play home games man that is huge so uh, yeah, there's a lot of factors when it comes to the COVID. There's a
1: lot of factors. There's the Ben Simmons factor. I mean, that's that's a potential you know, league-shifting type of trade whenever that does happen. And it seems like it's going to happen sooner than later because everyone's laid their cards down on the table, and Ben Simmons is never going to play with any of those guys again and seemingly never speak to any of them again either. So you know, there's lots of things to consider, and we will have time to consider them. Um, fellas, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up this, this, uh, media week podcast.
0: I'm good. I mean, first preseason game is October 6th. So a week from the day this podcast comes out. So I mean, Hey, it's, I can't believe that we're already at this point. I'm thankful for it though, because I just seem to be a happier person with basketball on my television. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun to
2: do all the conjecture. Oh, I could see this lineup or that lineup. I'm just ready to have the questions answered and and see just how stupid my predictions for this roster end up being at the end of the day. Because you know there's going to be something that's so obvious in hindsight that we just completely neglected to talk about this whole offseason. So I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But let's just get these games started.
1: Yeah, I am ready for 23 minutes of Trey Lyles oh god please no uh no i hope that doesn't happen but um you know fun media week still some more to go and like aaron said the preseason games are on the way and then you can really start to you know crank up the uh conjecture machine as as we see some lineups out there and see how some guys are playing and you know, for all that and more, we hope that you will stick with us on the Palace of Pistons podcast and at PalaceofPistons.com as we're going to get some player preview information headed your way very soon. Uh, the season is right around the corner, whether we are ready for it or not. And I think most of us aren't really ready for it. Um, <laughs> so I guess it's going to be the or not. Uh, but we hope that you will stick with us as we get set to uh, preview the Pistons. Maybe the most exciting Piston season since I don't even know when. When is the last X like super hyped up piston season?
0: I don't know. I think people were pretty excited. Not last year, but the year with Hollywood Blake. Not really? I would say 2016.
2: That's after they made the playoffs as the eight seed. I don't I don't know. For me, this that is that was such
0: a letdown that that next year.
2: Oh, that that was such a it's just devastating. Yeah, but I, I think I think there was more hype because people were like, yo, they could win forty five games this year. So
1: They're not going to win 45 this year, but (laughs) no, they're not. And according to uh, according to FanDuel, they won't even win half of that. Um, you know, I will still go on the record and say that that 2016 Pistons team, the 2015-16 Pistons, still gave the Cavs the the biggest run for their money. Thank you, Golden State.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Mike. series. It was a very, very good series. Followed by the way, he was followed. I will go to my grave with that. And Kyrie Kyrie Irving traveled right. Uh, and Kyrie Irving traveled on that on that half court heave, right? He did, and also no respect to Kyrie Irving for waving bye bye to the Pistons fans after that game too. So he's a bum. Oh. He's a bum. He followed Reggie Jackson. Bum. That's all I have to say. We can. He's up. a. We're gonna open up a, a big can of worms. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I was gonna that, say, Mike, you're about a fun team.
2: you're about to get us on a Steve Blake tangent, and and it's Ooh. just better for everyone involved that
1: we end the podcast. It's better for Aaron's blood starts. pressure. It's better for Aaron's blood pressure. We avoid Steve Blake. <laughs> um, maybe it's better for everybody. Okay, fellas, good show. Um, once again, thank you to our sponsor, Bet Online. Again, uh, use our promo code Believe BLEA fee sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit um this has been the palace of pistons podcast part of the believe podcast network we hope you'll stick with us as we get set to preview the detroit pistons hyped season and we'll see you all next time